Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5, verse number 6. We're just going to look at this verse just for a second um, to do with my introduction here. We'll look at it just for a second. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 6. And tonight we're talking about a a topic that is very dear to people. It's dear to people uh, about just as dear as their mother is to them. If I talk bad about your mother, it may not be as bad as what we're going to talk about tonight. Because some people hold on really tight to what we're talking about today. But all I'm asking is for you to take your music and in a sense put it in the palm of your hand and don't hold it with a tight fist, but open it up and be open uh, to hear from God about it this evening. Matthew 5 verse number 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I like that verse a lot. I like it because God wants us to know what is right. That people that want to do right, God is going to show it to them. He's not leading us around on some snipe hunt and laughing at us the whole time that we can't figure out uh, what's going on in this life. He wants us to know what's going on and what we should do and what we should not do. And those of us that are hungry and thirsty after righteousness, which is simply just doing right, living right, being right, God's going to grant that, and he's going to give it to us. He's going to show you everything in the universe, possibly, that you could know. Not necessarily, but, hey, the things that are important, God is definitely going to show it to you. He's not playing games. But the question is tonight, are you playing games with God? He may, he's not giving you the runaround, but are you giving him the runaround? Some of us, we already have preconceived notions and preconceived ideas about what music should be and what music honors God, and I've got it, and it's mine, and you're not going to tell me any different. How do I know that? Because I've been there. Even just doing this simple study, I've, I've seen that my, you know, my hands were around it a little bit tighter than it should have been. And so all I'm asking tonight is, hey, do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? If so, God will He'll show some things to you. Maybe he won't answer all of your questions tonight, but he definitely will uh, be a help to you, and you'll be blessed, as Jesus said. Let's pray and uh, ask God's blessing on the preaching of his word. Lord, we come to you tonight thankful for another opportunity that we're able to come into your house and sing your songs, sing your praises, and also to hear from you. We pray that in the next few moments as we open up your word that we, you would be able to speak to us and we would truly get something from heaven Remove all distractions out of our minds. Help us to be totally focused on what you have for us this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, music. Music is everywhere today. That's because it is absolutely 100%, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, accessible. Anywhere you go in the world, practically, you can get to music in a variety of different ways. I looked up some statistics and... They said most people use up to five different devices to listen to music, and that can include even things as TV and smartphones, uh, iPods. I don't people, think people do MP3 players anymore, um, or eight tracks. I saw my first eight track the other day, a couple months ago. I didn't know what it was. 
I was with Pastor and Pastor Moon, and they thought it was funny. Mm. But there's a variety of different devices people listen uh, to music on, and just the exposure is so much. You can't even turn on the TV without hearing music in your favorite TV shows, and most of it, music which uh, does not honor God. I was actually shocked. Uh, many of you know what the War of Special Forces is. It's a teenager program that comes, and they hold almost like a vacation Bible school for teenagers. And throughout the week leading up to it, we will go in and we'll go out and recruit different areas, a lot of places at schools, bus stops, that sort of thing. And I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked when I would go up to these bus stops and you'd have 15, 20 kids out there and 90% of them would have earbuds in listening to music. I had no idea that people were that attached, especially this younger generation, was that attached to music, that they literally had to have it from the moment they wake up all the way on their bus ride to when they get into class, maybe at lunchtime if they're allowed to, and then all the way on the way home. We saw them on the way home, walking home. It was just amazing. Uh, some st statistics here says that the average American listens to 4.5 hours of music a day. That's a lot. And an average of 32 hours a week. A lot of people just put it on when they're laying in bed. They go to sleep listening to music. The average millennial, we always have you guys beating everything, is almost 40 hours a week listening to music, quite a bit, quite a bit of music. Now, we've seen a whole lot of exposure recently to Christian music, which looks and sounds a lot like the world has to offer. But Christian music and Christian people have really been exposed so much to the world's music that it has affected the Christian's music and our worship style of music as well. And there's no doubt that the reason behind that is because we have been exposed to all this other music all the time and it has desensitized us. Christian rock music has taken over churches by majority. There's more churches that have it than don't have it. I can't go on the internet. I can't scroll through Facebook. I almost can't go anywhere without seeing something about Christian rock music, Christian uh, contemporary music industry, all those sort of things. But it seems like we have all become desensitized to that industry. Many of you maybe have heard this illustration about if you take a frog and you put it in a boiling hot uh, bowl of water that it's just going to jump out. But supposedly, I haven't tried it, maybe I will, maybe Mason will when he gets old enough, is to take a frog and you put him in a cool uh, bowl of water and you a pot of water I'm sorry and you start to heat it up slowly and they say that when you heat it up slowly the frog won't jump out and it will just be boiled to death and die and you know what I'm not sure if that's true or not but it seems to be like what the devil has done to the church over the last 50 60 years he started the world's music rock music and got Christian people somewhat to be okay with it, and slowly but surely he's turned the burner up and up and up, and now we're at the place where we are. All And it's the same thing. So for the next few moments, we're going to look at the dangers of rock music. The first thing I want to look at, only th three things this evening, the first thing I want to look at is Christian rock and its origins. Are they good? Are they evil? Well, the first thing is, what is Christian rock? Let's describe exactly what that is. When I say Christian rock, I'm referring to a very specific genre 
Rock music is a very specific genre. Those of you that listen to music on Spotify, any of those, maybe you don't know what I'm talking about, Pandora, uh, the radio, I guess. I don't know if people do that anymore. And on the radio, there's a variety of different genres that you can have, rock music being one of them. But just for the sake of what we're talking about tonight, I'm just going to include Christian rap, Christian rock. Um, what are some other ones that are here? Christian pop music, uh, Christian reggae. There is such a thing. I ran into a lady on door-to-door -door that was a part of that. And Christian hip-hop. So we're just going to take all of that and sum it up into one category. And I'm just telling you that up front. So I uh, don't think I'm just meaning uh, you know, drums, guitars, that sort of thing. We'll just hit the variety of it that's going on today. And I'm categorizing all these together because despite all their different styles, they do all have one common thing. And that's they have a predominant backbeat and a predominant offbeat. And we see it in their music. Here's what Sing Out Magazine said. The greatest strength of rock and roll lies in its beat. It is a music which is basically sexual unpuritan. That's a quote by an unsafe people. You may say, okay, well, what does it matter that music has a backbeat? What does it matter that it has an offbeat? And now I'm not going to get into all of, the, uh, all of the scientific reasons behind that because I know there's a lot and we could spend all night talking about it. Um, but the answer to that question, what makes it wrong, is answered with a question, where did it come from? Where did it come from? And we're going to trace it back. The genealogy of rock music can actually be traced back very clearly to where it started at. It came from African slaves that came over to America. And of course, they over there, they had voodoo music and they used um, drums for dancing and for calling out evil spirits and to have their presence among them. And of course, when that came over with the slaves, African-American people soon got with you know, European instrumentalists, and that's where it all began. It started off mild, and then it formed into something very, very big. In the mid-1950s is where rock music really kicked off. The early 1950s to early 1960s, call, we'll call it early rock um, music. It promoted good times, new dance fads, and a little bit of rebellion. Some of the people who were involved in that, of course, were Elvis Presley, Chuck Berry, Bill Halley and the Comets, Jerry Lee Lewis, and James Brown. You know what? Most of those people I don't even know. Isn't that sad? Pastor likes to make fun of me on a regular basis because I don't know who those people are. And then in the late 1960s and early 70s, hard rock came into place. And it's actually me and Mr. Knott were talking today that hard rock back then to my generation is soft rock, is easy listening to. So that just kind of shows where it's going. But hard rock, supposedly, um, the concerts, they openly promoted sex, drugs, and indecent behavior. Some of the people that were part of that scene was Jimi Hendrix, uh, Janis Joplin, The Doors, The Beatles, Rolling Stones, and Led Zeppelin. Of course, in the late 1970s, uh, a lot of things that, were, that had to do with that was sex, no morality, and drug abuse, the same types of things. The lyrics openly promote rebellion and violence. Satanic messages were hidden or camouflaged by backwards masking. And that's a pretty interesting thing if you want to look all that up. But some of the people that were involved in that, of course, Kiss, Rod Stewart, uh, The Who, Led Zeppelin, Elton John, Alice Cooper. Now here's a quote. It says by uh, Rockstar, it says, Rock and roll is pagan and primitive and very jungle. And that's how it should be. The moment it stops being those things, it's dead. 
the true meaning of rock is sex and style. Interesting. And then in the early 1980s to the present, Satan is no longer trying to hide his motives behind that. It's just clear and open as day. In Sunday school, about a year ago, I did a lesson on music, and I didn't get into all the technical things, but I took the top five hits of the summer for 2017, and every single one of those had blatant immorality in it. It was, all about, it was just all about sex, about drugs, about drinking, about partying. Every single one of the top five that kids today are just pouring into their minds. It's unbelievable. You can't deny that its roots are definitely evil and definitely did not come out of something good. 50 years later, the contemporary Christian industry, um, of course, was born out of all that rock music, and it was literally turned into a cheap copy of exactly what the world is doing. So why is it wrong? Hey, because of where it comes from and what, is, what it does to us spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Have you ever went to eat into a dark restaurant? Yeah, you... You walk in and it's very dark and you can barely see anything and you're walking around. You get to your chair, you look at your menu. I've been with uh, Joe France. He takes out his phone light and looking at the menu. I've seen it. I remember it. He takes out his phone light, starts looking, and you start, okay, you can see to the other side of the room now. Then you go and you look at the menu and you can actually start seeing the words on the menu. And soon enough, by the, by the time your food gets there, you can see perfectly fine. That is exactly what has happened to the church with rock music. We've adapted it to our style of worship and we just see it as normal. We don't feel like anything's wrong with it, but it's exactly what has happened. Now, this was never really true because when it first came on the scene, pastors immediately, fundamentals pastors immediately said, hey, this is wrong, this is not right. But we've become accustomed to it, gotten used to it. Uh, there's a story of an African pastor who came over to the United States to do some training, and when he came over, he was shocked, he was appalled, he couldn't believe the Christian music that people were listening to. He grabbed one of the preachers and said, why are these people listening to the beats that are in this music? They are the same beats that we used to worship evil spirits with and call them out, and people are listening to them and putting God to them. He could not believe it. Another African pastor was the same thing. A missions team went down to Africa, to South Africa, and they had in the CD player a CD of a contemporary Christian rock band and the same thing. A group of a few pastors got into the vehicle and they could not believe that that's what people were listening to. They were there and seeing what it actually does. And they were not desensitized to it because they had stayed away from it. And they could not believe that that's going around all over America. Another question is, is music immoral? Is music immoral? Many people try to say that music is immoral, but the truth is, is music is not immoral. It is not. If music is immoral, that means then, hey, why do nightclubs only play a certain kind of music? Why do they do that? Why, did, why have blues artists openly admitted, this is what they say, this sound affected most women in a way that I could never understand? B.B. King, a blues legend, um, he said, the women react with their bodies flowing to a rhythm coming out of my guitar. They knew that it wasn't immoral. Immoral, I'm sorry, immoral. Then why do rock, music, rock musicians um, say that their rhythms and beats are sexy? Gene Simmons, he says, that's what rock is all about. 
sex with a 100 megaton bomb, the beat. Tina Turner, many of you know her, I do not. Another one. Says, rock and roll is fun, it's full of energy, it's naughty. The testimonies of the unsaved people clearly admit that it is not immoral, but yet Christian people, for some reason, we are the ones that are trying to hide it and try to push it on the rug and try to say that it's not. The wicked people, the heathen and the pagan, they openly admit that it is wrong, that, that it is not right, that it's not that it's naughty, but yet we seem to be hiding it. We often say, hey, there's a whole lot of gray areas out there. There's a lot of gray areas. But you know what? To God, there is no gray area. There is only black and white. Only black and white. Objects can be immoral. Not bad, not good. But music is not an object. It is an action. And if it is an action, and you try to say that it is immoral, it actually opposes what the scripture says because in 2 Corinthians 5.10 it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether they be good or bad. The actions that you do are categorized by God whether they are good or bad. So let's just try, stop trying to hide and stop trying to push under the rug that music, we just say, ah, it's immoral. It doesn't really matter either way. It does. The first danger of Christian rock is that its origins are wicked. The second is this. You've probably seen this one coming. Christian rock is worldly. Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to 1 John chapter number 2. We'll look at a few verses here. 1 John chapter number 2, verses 15 and 16. Many of you may know them by heart. I'll give you a minute to turn there. Verse 15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of, his father, of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The key word in all that is world. You keep seeing that pop up all over the place. In James 4, 4, I'll just read it to you. It says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. It's pretty plain. It's pretty clear. What is the world? We see that word pop up in all of those verses. What is the world? Well, here's a little definition. I believe that in this thing, it's referring to people that are indifferent or that are directly opposed to God and to Jesus Christ. That's what God refers to as the world. He's not talking about the rocks and the trees and the flowers. He's not talking about those things. He's talking about the people that are in the world that directly oppose or are indifferent to his motive. The world, the people, they hated Jesus. John 7, 7 says, the world cannot hate you, but it hateth me because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Christian rock, it looks like the world. I got a few pictures up here I'm going to show to you. It looks like the world, and we're going to see, really, the differences between the two. I think we got them up here. Maybe if you want to kill these lights, maybe. Maybe it'll help us. Okay, we got a few pictures here. I think there's eight in all. 
And here are just a few. And you see if in your mind maybe you can picture out half of them are Christian, Christian rock, I'm sorry, Christian rock groups, and the other are not. That was a not Christian one. I memorized the order, so that's how I know. That's about the only way I know. That was a Christian band. You could look and see right here. It was a big Christian band in the early 2000s called Red, but it's hard to tell, very hard to tell. That was a Christian band, or is a Christian band. Interesting. Could you tell the difference? I really couldn't. I couldn't tell the difference. If I did not have those things memorized, I would not be able to tell. I specifically pick pictures that did not have crosses in the background because those groups are still notorious for taking a cross and putting it, putting it up there, and I didn't want it to give it away that easy. But you know what I was thinking? I said, if just the simple symbol of a cross is the only thing that was different in my life when I got saved, something is wrong. Something is seriously wrong. If the only thing that changed my life, I just put a, start wearing a cross on my t-shirt, put a cross on my car. Bible says, 2 Corinthians 15, uh, 15, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's pretty different. Hey, the things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. I, when I got saved, I could tell a big difference. I could tell a massive difference. I didn't like going to church. But you know what? After I got saved, I liked going. My parents didn't have to beg me to go anymore. You know, after I got saved, I liked reading my Bible. I actually carried it with me. I'd take it to work, read it on my breaks. You couldn't have caught me dead doing that before. The music that I listened to, hey, I did not listen. My, my music selections completely changed, and they were nowhere like the music that we've seen up here or been talking about tonight. A big change. And I hope in your life, hey, when you got saved, there was a big change as well. Also, we're going to see, hey, it sounds like the world. Now, this may be one of the only times that contemporary Christian music or Christian rock gets played in Gospel Baptist Church. Maybe it's been done in the past. I think it has. We're going to play just a very quick clip. Timothy, if you would go and maybe just uh, play 10 seconds of one and then 10 seconds of the other one, that'd be fine. Just to show you what it sounds like and that it sounds very similar to what the world is producing and to what we see on mainstream music and pop culture. I think it gets the point across about what it looks like, what it's doing. The thing I see about that is it is completely different than what we're doing. I like to look at the crowds and what the crowds were doing. They had their hands up. They were swaying. It almost looked like they were somewhat possessed of something and that they were just drifting along. They were almost out of consciousness in a way. And that is completely different 
than what we do when we sing to God and worship God. The thing about it is, is either we are wrong or they are wrong. We can't both be right because it's two totally different things. If they are right in that that is the only way of true worship, which many contemporary Christian artists and contemporary churches would say that that is the way worship should be, that you should be able to feel it, and it's all emotion. If that is the case, then Christians for 2,000 years have been doing it wrong. I don't think Paul and Silas sitting in a jail cell together singing songs had that going behind them, but you know what? I'm pretty sure that they were filled with the Spirit. That sounds exactly like what the world is uh, producing, and it's definitely what Christians are doing all over. Jonathan Cain, how many of you know him? Jonathan Cain, he was the former lead singer for Journey. He even admitted and said that he often cannot tell if songs are worshiping are about worshiping the Lord or a lover. Brad Pitt, the movie star, he reportedly made similar comparisons that he could not tell the difference about Christian music and what it was talking about. Many Christian artists, they brag and they talk about how that they are inspired by sexual, by, I'm sorry, they're inspired by secular artists that are completely unsafe people and they're inspired. Amy Grant, she was a big name in contemporary Christian music. She said, I love to hear Billy Joel, uh, Kenny Loggins, and the Doobie Brothers. I don't know those either. Point of Grace, on their Life, Love, and Other uh, Mysteries album, they recorded a sing-a-song by the occultic antichrist rock group Earth, Wind, and Fire. It's amazing that these people are so intermingled together. Not only does it look like the world, it sounds like the world, but it also, here's a big thing, it creates a comfortable, non-convicting atmosphere for the unsaved and those in sin. John uh, 15, 18 through 19 says, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. I believe it was Bob Morris and I were out door to door. I could be wrong about this a couple of years ago. And we were over in Benita doing some door to door. We came and we knocked on a door and, you know, we struck up a conversation trying to present the gospel the best way we could. We asked the, the man that was there. We said, you know, do you go to church anywhere? He goes, oh yeah, I go to a, one of the big churches in our area that has this type of music. He says, I go there. My family goes there. We like it. And Mr. Bob, I believe, asked, well, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? He said, no. No. How long have you been going there? Oh, a year or so. He just likes to go there. It's a good place for his kids. He likes to sit there, listen to the music. It was comfortable for him to be able to go there. That should not be possible. Not that we are not welcoming people to come and hear the preaching of God's word. Not that we're not doing that, but... They should not feel comfortable. Why? Well, I like to think about um, Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter number 6, he finds himself in the presence of Almighty God. And here's what he says. He says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I, have an, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Did you know in the presence of an Almighty God, you are going to feel out of place? You will feel out of place. 
And you know what? If you don't, I would say that the presence of God is probably not there. We're just getting down to the nitty gritty. Spurgeon said, he said, a time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. And that was way before all this. But he saw it coming. There's almost been a switch in the church movement to where church has been the evangelism. Which that should not be the case. Church is for the edification, for the building up, for encouraging other believers. You know, we go out in the world all day, all week. I don't have that privilege necessarily because I get to work here. But all of you, you get to go out in the world and you, you work with your unsaved people. Hopefully get to give the gospel. And you know what? We get, and you get, beat up by the world quite a bit. And it's a great thing to be able to come into the house of God and get encouraged with other people who are doing the right thing. But you know what? Those places, that is not being found and that is not happening because it's been all about the unsaved and not about the saved. We're happy for the people that get to come forward and that get to come to our services and hear the gospel and get saved. And many people do get saved from coming to church. But it shouldn't be what church is all about, just preaching the gospel and trying to get unsaved people here. It's for the believers. It's not just music that we're talking about here that's like the world. It's a culture. I know of a worship leader personally who on many weekends goes and plays at bars playing secular music. And it's fine. They know it. He's not trying to hide it. How many of you know Justin Bieber? All the millennials will know who that is. Justin Bieber supposedly claims to be a Christian that he got saved. And he's still a pop star. His life hasn't changed. At least I can't see anywhere that it's changed, really, besides maybe he's tattooed across. He has a lot of tattoos. Maybe tattooed across on his body. That's about it. But I saw a video a few months ago of him, a worship, a church, letting him lead worship. He's out there. Some of his songs, I would not feel right quoting the lyrics from his songs up here. But yet he, it's just, it is a culture and it is infiltrating the church all over the world. If all that's true and it's just like the world, then why in the world are Christians all over the place offering that type of music up to God as worship? It should not happen. It should not be possible. The last thing here, we've seen Christian rock and its wicked origins. We've seen uh, Christian rock how it is very worldly. And the last thing, Christian rock, it's a gateway for compromise in other areas. A gateway for compromise in other areas. It weakens the, fun, the fundamental stance of the church. Here's a quote. It says, when the standard of music is lowered, the standard of dress is also lowered. When the standard of dress is lowered, then the standard of conduct is also lowered. When the standard of conduct is lowered, then the sense of value in God's truth is lowered. Frank Garlock of Majesty Music, he warns, he says, if a church starts using contemporary Christian music, it will eventually lose all other standards. Of course, we do know that there is good music and godly honor, God-honoring music that is being produced today that we would call contemporary, since contemporary means new. But he is specifically talking about the contemporary music industry that's promoting Christian rock. Um, Ernest Pickering says that perhaps nothing uh, precipitates a slide towards new evangelicalism more than the introduction of contemporary Christian music. This ine inevitability 
uh, leads toward a gradual slide in other areas as well as the entire church is infiltrated by ideas and programs alien to the original position of the church. And that is absolutely true, 100%. Here's some churches that have slipped and are no more what they once were. Landmark Baptist Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, they used to be strong on the King James. Now they're not. They're not King James at all. The church website says, being a firm believer... Uh, that the church should be fun and on the edge. Matt, who I believe is a pastor, puts all his energy into making Landmark a place where everybody belongs. The church is not a place where everybody belongs. It's for the saved. Bethlehem Baptist Church in Fairfax, Virginia, of course, was old-fashioned, used to believe uh, in the King James Bible. They've since drifted uh, very far away. In 2003, the pastor stated, um, David Stokes, he said, with regard to dress and modesty issues, we enforce no rule on our folks. Apparel issues are really of no concern to us. Sunday school teachers can teach in whatever they want to wear. Immodesty is not a problem whatsoever. Amazing. Temple Baptist Church in Detroit, Michigan was passed at one time by uh, J. Frank Norris. Strong in the King James Bible as well. But in 2003, they even changed their name from Temple Baptist Church to North Ridge Church. Of course, even letting any type of Christian band come and play at their church. And of course, many of you know of Highland Park Baptist Church, which I believe was Tennessee Temple University. It wasn't on my list, but it's a prime example. I played soccer at Crown College for a year. And we played their team the year before their college and their church kind of shut down. And it was unbelievable, the young people that that place was producing, how filthy-mouthed, how trashy. They looked just like the unsaved, looked like the world. And that's what that type of music in the church is producing across the board. It's, it's pragmatic. In its mentality, now the definition of pragmatic, uh, pragmatism is determines the meaning and truth of all concepts by their practical consequences. Simply, if it works, it's good. If it doesn't, it's bad. There was a church I was going to intern my second year of college at, and I knew uh, the man. He was a friend of mine, and I went down there to check out his church, and he, he brought me in his office, and he kind of warned me. He says, you know, I, you know, we used to only sing hymns here, and I came and took over the church, and the church told me that the church told me that uh, we only had a month to be able to get people start coming in here and to start paying the bills. Otherwise, the place was going to sh- shut down. And he looked at me. He's like, "I had to do something." And when I had got there, they were running three hundred, three fifty, four hundred on Sundays, just on Sunday mornings. They were running that. And he's like, oh, it's worked for us and it's been good. Pragmatism, hey. But the thing about it is, is where does it stop? Where does the pragmatism stop? We want to reach the lost by using their music. Well, would you steal to be able to better identify with thieves? No, you wouldn't do that. Would you smoke drugs to be able to better relate to addicts? No, we wouldn't do that. Would you use foul language to try to witness to your fellow co-workers, to try to make them more accepting of you? Would we put illicit, illicit images and maybe even pornographic images on our gospel tracks so maybe we could get some people to look at them instead of just walk by them? Would we do that? Where does it stop? Where does it stop? Then why in the world would we use the world's music 
to try to win other people to Christ. Why would we do that? In conclusion, as we finish, I'm so glad that Gospel Baptist Church has drawn the line on the standard of music that we use at our church. I'm happy that we have. And the question today is, have you drawn the line in your own life on the standard of music that you've allowed to come into your life and maybe into the life of your family? If you haven't, today's a great day. Why not? Let's pray and we're going to finish up. We'll have a moment of invitation if Mr. Knott would make his way to the platform. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we've had to look into your word. Uh, We thank you that uh, we could find some of these truths about the world and about what what it's doing. And we ask that in the next few moments as we wrap up that you would continue to work on the hearts and in the minds of the people. Uh, we ask that even long after this message is over, that you continue to work in their lives. Pray that if there's anyone here tonight struggling with what type of music that they should listen to, I pray that they would just give it up to you tonight. Show them what's right. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.